everybody. Welcome to today's One Million by One Million podcast. I'm here with Alan Chu from XFeed today, and we will be talking about Alan's fund and all these cool activities from XFeed. Welcome, Alan. Hello, everyone. Happy to be here. So let's introduce our audience to XFeed. Tell us about the firm. Sure. XSEED is a seed stage focused technology venture firm. Uh, we look for the best entrepreneurs we can find who are building technology startups and give them capital to make their dreams into reality. Um, and how big uh, is the fund? Yeah, we're investing out of our second fund. It's $60 million. Our average check size is typically around $750,000 to start, but we're not, uh, we don't have uh, straight guidelines on how big that initial check is. Is. It really depends on the needs of the company and uh, and where they are in terms of stage of development. Okay. And what about stage where this $160,000 average, $150,000 average, this would be a pre-seed, a seed? So where would you put that? Yeah, it's, it's 750 so it's institutional seed. Uh, the round size usually is around $1.5 to 2 or $2.5 million. Um, okay. So a lot of times the entrepreneurs had made a lot of progress based on the pre-seed round they had raised from angels or family and friends. Okay. So what about industry sector? What is your comfort zone, preference, focus? Yeah, we, we generally look at B2B or enterprise opportunities. Um, mm-hmm. because we, we believe that at the C stages, it's easier to assess the potential of B2B opportunities versus more consumer mobile, consumer internet yeah. startups, which usually take a little longer to validate market needs and, and, and see that it's sufficient user growth over a longer period of time to know that this, this, this product really is hitting the consumer's zygotes. So we tend to focus on more B2B opportunities, and that's also uh, the majority of my background as well. Okay. And what about geography? Geography is U.S.-focused. Um, most of our investments are made in the San Francisco Bay Area. We do have a small number of companies that are based outside of this region. Um, mm-hmm. We usually do that if we find that the entrepreneurs could be, to be especially compelling and we're able to find local investors to support mm-hmm. the, the entrepreneurs and make local introductions when it comes to talent recruitment or, or uh, opening doors to customers. And what um, I imagine that you are seeing a lot of um, uh, companies that are not just barrier completely barrier-based, right? They may be having their front end in the Bay Area, but they do, or they're doing development somewhere else and stuff like that, right. and that's an acceptable configuration? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We're seeing more and more of that, in fact, um, often because they have good talent elsewhere that they want to uh, bring on board and, and don't and don't want to move them to the Bay Area for, for financial reasons and for, for the employees' own personal or family reasons, and that makes a ton of sense. Um, yeah, so, so that's very common, having a development team elsewhere for the commercial team in the U.S. or in the Bay Area. Yeah, okay. Tell us about some um, specifics of what you are looking for right now that you would like to invest in. Have you come up with specifics? 
So we're not uh, sector-focused at the moment. We are, so first and foremost, looking for the most compelling entrepreneurs. And what do we mean by that? These are entrepreneurs who are always able to create momentum regardless of the obstacles in front of them. They are high energy. They attract top talent around them. And they are what we call truth seekers. And that's, that's hard. Um, entrepreneurs are very opinionated and headstrong to begin with. Otherwise, you wouldn't be starting out uh, on your own and start a new company. But you've got to balance that with being adaptable and, and, and coachable and, and be able to learn from market feedback. Uh, so be, and, and, and the focus is on getting it right rather than being right. Uh, and so that, that's one of the key qualities we look for in, in entrepreneurs. Talk a bit about your current portfolio. This is your second fund. Um, how, how much was the, was the first fund? The first fund was $50 million and it was invested across tech life sciences as well as software. And how many companies did you invest in from the first fund? I wasn't with actually in the first fund, so so that's not a part that I could really speak intelligently okay. about. Yeah. And when so did you raise this one, this fund? fund? Yeah, so I, I've been with the, with the second fund from the beginning, and uh, we've invested in more than 30 companies. Uh, a number of them have, have grown to be uh, pretty significant entities. There's a company called Zoo. Uh, which is based in Israel, is a payment gateway uh, and, and payment analytics companies. Uh, they've got large customers such as Discovery using them. Uh, they are especially strong in uh, handling cross-border p- payments. We also mm-hmm. have an enterprise uh, business intelligence platform company called AtScale that, mm-hmm. um, that is enjoying tremendous growth and some of the largest financial institutions and retailers and gaming companies basically any enterprises handling billions of data points would find Askale to be indispensable. And that's a, um, what kind of use cases is it gaining traction in? Uh, you mean Askale specifically? Yes. Um, use cases as in, so um, if you can imagine, imagine a retailer with, with trying to, with a lot of uh, products in the in the inventory, with a lot of variety and with a lot of vendors that they, they they're dealing with, and trying to uh, predict demand for specific products and specific geographies, that's very yeah. you got to process high volumes of data very very quickly and try to make decisions that will have a direct impact on, on your margin. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of use case that Scale really shines. And what? Um... What stage did you get involved with at scale in? What did they have when they came to you? From the from the very beginning, uh, they were actually still building a product, no customers yet. But credit to the team, they had done dozens of customer interviews, very very uh-huh. strong background in business intelligence, so they knew what they were doing, and they were solving a deep customer pain point that nobody else had, uh, were solving yet, and they took a very unconventional approach from a technology standpoint. But there was a lot to like about the team. Unique technology, deeply experienced team, a team that had worked together before solving a big problem. So you would be okay with investing in companies at a stage where there are no customers yet, the product is still being built, but there has been a lot of customer immersion in uh, designing the product. Absolutely. And you have, a, it sounds like you have a group of investors that you co-invest with who are okay with that stage of businesses as well. 
Yeah, no, definitely true. Um, certainly, we're taking on a little bit more market risk if we're yes. investing pre-revenue and pre-customers. So, yeah. but it, it, you know, but if that could be balanced off against a uh, very strong team who understand the market very, very deeply, uh, that reputation and track record will make up for the market risk that we're taking on. And who are the funds that you co-invest with with that same stage thesis? Yeah, they're, they're, you know, as the usual suspects in, in the seed, institutional seed ecosystem. We've co-invested with a lot of high-quality uh, seed investors that we were very, very happy with. And our, our founders are very happy that we are able to pull together and syndicate this collectively. Can you name uh, some of the funds that you've co-invested in these deals with? So we've co-invested with Stone Ventures, with Ulu Ventures, and, and um, uh, Engineering Capital, and many other seed firms. Okay. Um, if you look back on the year 2017, we just ended, what are the trends that you see in your deal flow? Not necessarily the ones that you've invested in, but overall, it's like from a much broader pool of deals, what highlights, what trends stand out? I'm seeing more and more uh, entrepreneurs who are being extremely capital efficient, uh, which, which continues to, which means the bar for getting investment continues to move up whether you're raising money from institutional seed investors or Series A investors. Um, entrepreneurs are able to get more done with less capital. That's a continuing trend. Um, mm -hmm. We're seeing a not, a not a slowdown in deal volume, but in the investment pace. And that's not new. That's been going on for the last two, three years. And I think that's a reflection of the fact that um, we've had an explosion in seed investments. Um, four or five years ago, and, and they're still working through the system. So many of the early investors felt that they wanted to um, see some of these companies exit or have a liquidity event before before they they pick up the investment pace again. Um, so we are um, therefore coaching the entrepreneurs that we back to allow for a little bit more buffer in, in the runway to give them more time to hit the milestones, allowing a, a little bit longer cycle for fundraising, just adjusting to the, to the new reality of uh, uh, early stage fundraising. So let me see if I understood what you're saying. You're, you, you're seeing more capital efficient execution, mm -hmm. which is good, which is a very good thing. In our philosophy, in the 1 million by 1 million methodology, we strongly recommend that people bootstrap and be as capital efficient as possible as long as possible before raising money. And even if they raise money, we prefer that they don't raise huge amounts of capital, uh, which is completely counter to the unicorn mania that has been running through Silicon Valley, which we'll talk about in a moment. So I think the capital efficiency trend is a good thing um, from what you're pointing out. Um, the trend of let me see if I understood what you're trying to say here. You are saying that there have been a lot of seed investments in the last five years, and right now these companies that have received seed investments, the people who have invested in them are trying to get exits and not making a lot more seed investments. Is that what you're saying? I think the bar for – basically the bar has gone higher. And, and for Series A. 
Right, for, for, and, and for seed, and for institutional seed. So fewer seed, in, if you look at the data, right, fewer mm-hmm. seed investments are being made, but the companies that are able to raise a round, they're raising slightly bigger rounds. Right. So, well, there's, I think there are two, um, two points that, that I'm seeing, which is there are a lot more, you know, what we call micro VCs in the system. There are a lot of 15 million, 20 million funds in the mm-hmm. system right now than there used to be. So there is like, like this very small amounts of capitals are, capital is still in the system and they are getting invested. And some of these are very new funds. They just came up in the last one or two years. Mm-hmm. But the bar is very high for getting any kind of Series A is very high bar. Yes. So the Series A that's, gap is tremendous and growing. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that, that is very true. And what we're seeing is even the, there is going to be a gap going from pre-seed to seed as well. Yes, and, and, and that gap is going to grow as well for the same reason that the seed guys are looking for a higher bar uh, and going from pre-seed to seed is also going to be a, a bigger gap as we go along. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what about Unicorn Mania? What is your, how do you parse Unicorn Mania? Uh, I think we went through a period where um, raising massive amounts of capital in and of itself was viewed as a sign of success. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but often, more often than not, it leads to uh, undisciplined growth. Um, but I think we are backing away from that as an ecosystem. Um, uh, we're seeing fewer uh, huge deals. Not that they're, they, I mean, they're still happening, especially with SoftBank uh, investing in and making later stage investments and sometimes crowding out even some of the top firms around the, the valley. But that aside, I think overall for the majority uh, of the company, um, we, we're reverting back to a, a more normal, rational, sane, level of late stage investing, which I think is healthy. And what is, as, as a fund that is in the, you know, let's say 50 to $100 million fund size level, what, in your opinion, is the right strategy in terms of exits? Do you exit into some of these later rounds or do you stick around? That is, that is highly geo-specific. But in most cases, we, we stick around. Um, I mean, unless a company ends up raising around at a valuation that we believe is, is, is just so high that it, it would be very difficult to grow into. But, but that's uncommon. That's, that's rare. Uh, so in most cases, we, we keep our pro rata, we continue to support our companies, and uh, we, we want to keep, keep investing in our winners. Mm-hmm. So your thesis is that the kind of bloated valuation uh, or your observation is that the kind of bloated uh, valuation unicorns are not as common, at least that's not what you're seeing in your portfolio at the moment. So the case for exiting in into later rounds is not as as urgent. Right. It, yeah, we're seeing fewer irrational, uh, irrationally priced uh, uh, later rounds, and therefore we don't feel the urgency to exit at those rounds. We we'll just continue uh, riding riding the growth of the companies. Are you? Looking for these billion-dollar opportunities, or are you also interested in the smaller, um, you know, opportunities that 
abound in the ecosystem right now, primarily because we are, you know, we are in 2018. Lots of stuff have already been built, and especially in B2B, there's there's a lot of sizable companies out there that are, you know, doing lots of stuff. So, um, you know, the gaps are more in the niches, not as much in the, you know, the front and center opportunities that were already, that have already been catered to. How do you view, um, you know, the smaller niche opportunities versus the larger opportunities? Are you only looking to invest in the larger ones and, uh, disregard the smaller ones. So, do you have an investment thesis around TAMs, you know, smaller TAM opportunities as well? <laughs> so, no one would ever say that they would. Uh, I mean, everyone welcome a billion dollar outcome. Uh, no one would ever say we don't we don't want them. But one of the advantages of uh, managing a smaller fund in the fifty to hundred million dollar range is we could actually uh, meet our numbers expected by our, our LPs, our limited partners, our investors. Um, without necessarily having billion-dollar exits. Right? So we have a little bit more flexibility to generate the kinds of returns that we need to um, uh, without relying on unicorns. So that's, that's a plus for us. Um, we'll be, that said, um, going in, just because of the, the inherent uncertainty in starting a company and assessing the size of opportunities, we'll still like to see the potential for a company to grow into a unicorn, even though we don't, they don't have to be in order for us to succeed. Uh, just because usually both early stage investors and entrepreneurs when they're starting a company are very optimistic about the, the outcome. Uh, and you, you have to have that level of optimism and hope in order to get something going. Um, so the reality would then eventually come in and start discounting on that. So we still like to see the potential to be, to be um, in, in, in the billions. Um, these opportunities are uh, are still going to be still going to be most challenging to look for venture capital returns in, in more niche areas. Not that it cannot be done. Mm. You know the the question that I'm constantly uh, intrigued by as I talk to you know many 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 investors is that how can so many investors all find unicorns. It's just not mathematically viable to, if you're obsessed with just investing in companies that have the potential of being unicorns, there, there aren't that many of those. That's very true. That's why they're called unicorns. There are very few. Um, that said, though, um, the world is shrinking in the sense that is we're seeing companies go international earlier in their life than perhaps previous generations of companies. Um, and, and so while the absolute size of these markets may have been growing at the pace of GDPs, but the ability for startups to reach into these markets um, has been increased substantially over time. Um, companies are able to expand beyond, beyond their indigenous markets, beyond the U.S. market, sooner rather than later. Um, so, and, and growth has a direct correlation with valuation. So that helps to create more highly valued companies sooner than, than, than before. But, but yeah. yes, they are still, they're still rare. <laughs> and that's why and, they, and, and also I think management teams that can pull off 
unicorn level growth, you know, it's hyper growth is a rare phenomenon and there are very few management teams that have the skills to be able to pull off hyper growth. That's another yeah. limiting factor as well. Yeah, very so, true. So, I mean, I, and, and I, at the same time, I, I do think that there are lots of, uh, you know, smaller opportunities, 100 million TAM, 200 million TAM kind of opportunities where you can, you know, you do some level of execution, get to a certain amount of, you know, revenue, and then you sell to the companies who's who has a channel adjacent to yours and what you're looking for, and and don't invest in building the channel. I think that you could get very nice multiples on small capital efficient deals, and and yep. everybody makes money in that scenario. Yep, yep, very true, very true. And we will welcome those exits. For the small funds. Sorry, uh, you know, having having multiple of those kinds of exits could make up for. Um, one unicorn or half unicorn. Right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Instead of one unicorn and nine failures, if you have five decent sized exits, that could also make. I mean, it's, it works for a smaller fund. It doesn't work if you're trying to, you know, do very large funds. You can't really do these small capital efficient deals. That's just not going to cut it. Exactly, which explains the proliferation of smaller funds. Yeah. Yep. So, um, what else do you want to convey to the audience that would be interested in working with you as parting comments? I I would say surprises. Yes, the general notion is that we don't people don't know what the next big platform shift is going to be. Is it blockchain? Is it not? Um, uh, the ICO craze kind of tanked the whole blockchain ecosystem when the bubble burst. Nobody knows. Um, there's a sense of uncertainty around what's the next big wave that will usher in the next generation of um, uh, world-dominating uh, tech companies. But I would argue that now is precisely the time where the, the best and most insightful entrepreneurs are already identifying the non-obvious opportunities that are invisible to most investors and already working mm-hmm. on them. I would love to talk to you if you're working on one of these opportunities. Because um, we believe that if we're that smart to predict the future and and come up with these opportunities on our own, we would be entrepreneurs ourselves, right? But no, but that's we're, right. We're, <laughs> and the entrepreneur always has to know more than the investors. It's a requirement. Yeah. yeah. Very yeah. good. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, listeners, for uh, listening today and. Uh, If you're enjoying these sessions, please go to iTunes and uh, rate the show and come to one of the weekly roundtables where uh, we have had an opportunity to work on your business. Go to the website 1mby1m.com, go to free public roundtables and register for a slot to actually work on your business and we'll strategize, figure out how to remove your roadblocks and guide you through the acceleration journey. All right, and we'll see you soon in the next episode.